Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. I am Allison Russell, and I am sitting in my office slash Zoom room um, in our first ever home of our own in Nash- East Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a transplant from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, here, and I try to be a good mom, and I'm a musician, and I'm a new author uh, in the midst of writing my first book, and I try to reduce harm in the world and be kind. I guess that's me in a nutshell. That was a way more complete answer than most people give. I appreciate that. (laughs) I like to consider myself an early Allison adopter. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I'm an early Zach adopter. Have you considered running for office? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I don't want to do that. I would vote Uh, for you. Oh, you're so sweet, Zach. But I, I, I think that my gifts, such as they are, I don't know that it's my, my, the only thing I can do, the only thing I have is, are my words and melodies. And, and hopefully that can, I, I think that all artists are ultimately radical empathy workers. And we are needed right now more than ever. And I think that this this country, not just this country, but this is the country I'm living in now. My my home country is just a, is in the same state, um, and a lot of the globe is in the same state. But we are suffering from empathy impairment, really mm. severe empathy impairment, to the point that we are gonna drive ourselves into mass extinction if we can't figure out how to value one another as fully equal human beings and how to listen to one another and how to creatively problem solve Hello again, everybody. Welcome to season four of the Show on the Road podcast. Uh, I'm very happy to bring you some new episodes uh, live from my sequined podcast nook as the dog snores behind me and the construction crew bangs right outside the window. I apologize if it's not as pristine as some other fancy podcasts, but... I'm lucky enough to bring you one of my favorite singer-songwriters in the world for our first episode, the bodacious, bilingual, banjo-toting goddess Allison Russell. You know, every now and again, good things happen to really good, talented people. Yes, many people just discovered Allison this year with her breakout solo debut, Outside Child. Slow-boiling, cut-right-to-your-heart root songs like Night Flyer were on every best-of list this year, including President Obama's favorite songs. 
But as usual, kids, every overnight sensation is about 22 years in the making. Yes, Allison has been working her whole adult life at making amazing music, starting in Canada with the group Poe Girl, then with Birds of Chicago and her lovely husband JT in Nashville, and then joining the super group Our Native Daughters. And this year, her debut solo record is nominated for three Grammys. And why does this matter? Am I trying to say that maybe persistence and hard work can pay off every now and again? I don't know, maybe. But as you'll hear in our conversation, Allison has come from the hardest of beginnings. And the reason her record, Outside Child, struck a nerve with so many people, she does not turn away from the abuse she suffered as a child. She faces it head on. And the scary thing is, she's definitely not alone. One in nine girls under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult as they're growing up. 82% of all victims under 18 are girls. What's more, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence says that on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States alone. So... As we embark on this new season where I get to talk to amazing songwriters from around the world, I ask you one thing. Please, listen to the lyrics. Listen to what these creators are saying. And to me, this is more than music. Anyway, thank you for supporting this podcast. Please leave us a kind review and share it with your friends. If you want to support this podcast financially, you can be an awesome person. Go under the text of this episode and see the support link there. In case you're wondering, my group Dust Bowl Revival will be playing a big show at the Wiltern in L.A. March 31st, opening for the infamous String Dusters. Okay, enough of me going on. Here she is now, Allison Russell. I remember talking backstage at the 930 Club with uh, JT and you guys played with Dust Bowl Revival and that was kind of right as the world was about to shut down. Um, but he had this like little like light in his eye when he talked about this project that he was working on with you. Like he's like, you know, just, just you wait, you know. Um, and again... It takes so long for art and this type of stuff to gestate. I mean, this is these are songs that have been probably fermenting in your brain since you were a kid. Yeah. A lot of this is about the trauma you experienced, the the escape from that, the processing of the trauma. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you maybe haven't touched on it in Birds of Chicago songs, but... It's very raw and very immediate in these songs. It's not hidden behind three or four verses. It's right at the top of some of these songs, um, like uh, Fourth Day Prayer. No, it's true. I mean, it's a lifetime for sure of processing. And for me, art and trauma are closely connected. Slept in the graveyard under the mud When the sun came up and found my skin I rose, I rose again one for the hate loops and loops Two for the poison and Three for the children begging Four for the day we're standing inside Ooh, 
was my escape from the trauma. You know, art was my lifeline. It's the reason I'm alive at all. And, and you're right, the album is very much about the escape from that situation and breaking the cycle. And I will, do, I mean, that is my family. You know, that my mom is my mom and my adoptive father is my adoptive father. You know, he's the man who raised me and there's nothing I could do to change that. He's also my primary abuser, you know, and I also charged him and he also spent some time in prison because of it. But my mom still lives with him, you know, that's, they are my family. Yeah. And um, he's also was an abused child, you know, so these things, it's like these intergenerational cycles of abuse and trauma and bigotry and violence don't go away unless we can at least take the first step of facing it all head on and, and, and opening our mouths about it. You know, and that was one of the things for me in my own healing, so much of, of what he did, the, the physical part, the sexual abuse part, you know, your body heals eventually, but what is much more insidious and much more difficult to recover from and what I'll probably be unpacking for the rest of my life is the psychological abuse, you know, the systematic brainwashing over years to try to unmake someone's personhood and make, make a child feel less than human, you know, which he succeeded in for a long time, uh, but not forever. And that's a big part of why I felt like I needed to sing about my roadmap out, you know, my underground railroad to freedom. And the book that I'm writing is is sort of a an expansion on what I began on the Outside Child album. Well, the chorus of Fourth Day Prayer is almost like the full circle, right? Where it starts, one for the hate that loops and loops, two for the poison at the roots. And then it sort of breaks free with the children breaking through four for the day we're standing in the sun that there is yeah. the possibility of hope and i believe there's more than a possibility i think that we that change can happen so quickly i mean that's part of what we it's a trick this this divide and conquer playbook is an ancient feudal trick it's like we haven't managed to drag ourselves out of the exploitative, extractive, hierarchical fallacies of the feudal system. Like we're still trapped in these systems of oppression and, and, and enacting these oppressive ideas upon one another and upon our children. You know, it's, it's, but it can change so fast. You know, I think about in a tiny microcosm way, even what's happening for this record right now, mm -hmm. that is not because of me. That is because of an entire community of fellow artists and 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 people on the other side of the curtain, you know, who are doing incredibly creative work on the label side, on the publicity side, um, on the distribution side, on the journalism side, on the radio side. Like this is a whole collective and coalition, a community. The work that we're doing in kind of the broader uh, Americana, all Americana community, to open the door wider and to try and represent more of this full, full spectrum of artists, you know, that are out there creating. And I am being uplifted by that community. And this album was uplifted by that community and the incredible village that helped me make it and, and that are, that are amplifying it out into the world. You know, even my wonderful label, Fantasy Records, I mean, we hear so many horror stories about labels, but I have... I have a dream story, you know, it's, it's a label run by women and queer folks and all, you know, all like a very diverse, um, 
execu executives that work at Fantasy and at the Greater Concord family who saw me and valued me as an artist and who supported me as an artist and lifted our family out of poverty in the middle of a pandemic, you know? It's like you can make, be we've, we've all made beautiful records like for 22 years, some of us, you know, I'm, I've been, I'm 42 years old. I've been doing this professionally for 22 years. I've been making records I'm proud of with Poe Girl, with Birds of Chicago, with Our Native Daughters, you know, for a long time. And, uh, and nothing like this has ever happened before. And I think that it's sort of a conjunction of, you know, the incredible, that, that community building over the last 22 years. You know, the, the reason I even know Fantasy Records or met them was because of, I reached out to Brandy Carlisle and we didn't mm. know each other particularly well. We had like done the Edmonton Folk Fest together and the Kiamo Cruise when, when our girls were tiny babies and we ran into each other on the beach and Evangeline and mm. Ida said, hi, you know, couldn't, Evangeline was six months old, so she couldn't speak yet. I think Ida said, hi, baby. And, you know, we, that was it. I didn't, we didn't know each other. I reached out during the lockdown. I reached out to her on Instagram. Like I DM'd her thinking, oh, she's never going to see that. And her wife, Catherine, found it and they listened to, to the demo I sent. And then, you like know, a true hustler started blowing up my phone saying they loved it and then mm. brandy just you know got really she she chose to champion it and to make some calls on my behalf and she had mm. a, an intuition about that i should meet margie chesky who's the head of a fantasy and stacks and vanguard within the concord family group yeah and that you know they had she had worked with with margie and steph and the whole fantasy team uh, on tanya tucker's record that that she and shooter produced um, and she loved them and she thought they're going to get this and she was right they they we just we recognized one another as kindred spirits you know you it know? took a little cold call hustling though right yeah, it's like sometimes I mean, you got to put yes, your you do. faith you have to because nothing universe. happens if we don't put put it out there and if we don't and i will say to any artist listening you know who's who's earlier in your arc of of trying to get your art out there really think about who it is that you admire, whose career you would want, you know, to emulate. That, that that's right. our, that's Millie, our rescue dog in the background. Who's Millie? It's a Millie girl. Yes, she's so good. She's so good. Um, at you know the axiom of the rescues, she rescued us, of course. But um, but I will say, you reaching out to people whose art resonates for you, mm -hmm. and who you admire the way they are running their business because of course as professional artists it's art but it's also at a certain point if that is your profession it's also business and mm -hmm. then learn and that's such a painful it took me years to accept that it was a business you know and yeah. and i frankly ran it very poorly for years because of that what's interesting about this record is it feels like almost like a cubist uh multi-angle view of these certain traumatic stories and how you moved through it right i mean the second verse of night flyer right you have the sick light of a hurricane's eye the violent lullaby six fireflies once right night, and i'm his shadow in the dorm door frame i'm each of his steps on the stairway you embody these moments of intense fear and pain yeah. and you're able to sort of transform them into song, which is kind of what the blues does, right? It's what it's what the blues is all about. The first time taking, I heard... Taking some autonomy back. 
Yeah. You know, taking some power back. And the blues is at the heart of, of every genre of American song, you know, of every modern idiom, essentially, is is indebted, heavily indebted, and directly borrowing from the blues. You know, there's no rock and roll without it. There's no jazz. There's no pop. There's no confessional balladry. There's no none of that, you know, like that. We, we owe huge debt to the blues. Yeah, I'm a midnight ride, stone bone of fine I fly. I'm an angel of the morning to promise that the dawn will be you. You, you. Sick light of a hurricane's eye. Fireflies, one street light, I'm suffocating How many instruments do you currently play? Um, that's banjo, clarinet, banjo, how many clarinet, different ones ukulele. do you use? I'm, I'm really, this year I am focusing on piano and bass clarinet because I love the bass clarinet and my dear friend Levon Henry, who is an incredible reedsman, Joe Henry's son, he's an absolutely brilliant Oh, nice. Saxophonist and clarinetist, and 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 a beautiful versioning songwriter as well. Um, wonderful. Um, he reminds me of Ornette Coleman the way he plays. He's incredible. But he gave, uh, or I bought his um, bass clarinet from him during the lockdown. Uh, he had a you know a student model that he wasn't using anymore, and I love it so much. Uh, and then piano. My daughter Ida, our daughter JT, and my daughter Ida is going to start piano this year and I'm going to start piano lessons with her because I am an illiterate musician you know I'm an, I'm someone who's learned everything mm. by ear and I've decided my my 2022 uh, artistic resolution is to learn to read and write mm. music so that I don't need to always um, you know I'm working there's a, I have a symphony idea that I want to get be able to write down myself instead of humming it to somebody else to do it for me or into an app or anything like that um, so piano, and next I play Irish frame drum called the Boran. Okay. Penny whistles. Um, Naturally. <laughs> because you know. As one does. <laughs> Scottish, Grenadian, Canadian. Uh, I yes, I love the penny whistle. Um, what else do I play? Guitar. Oh, I play guitar. Not well, you know. I play guitar just to write songs here and there. But the banjo is my primary songwriting instrument now, for sure. Well, I went back and listened to the band that you had in Canada called Poe Girl. And yeah. I used to love listening to that in college, I remember. Um, you did? <laughs> like early, oh like early, like mixtape days when, when you were yes. listening to like old fiddle songs and different things. And like, obviously the Be Good Tanyas were, yes. were yeah. around. Well, so Trish um, Klein and I right. formed that band together. And Trish, of course, was a third, uh, one of the three women that founded the Be Good Tanyas. Or right. four, really, because Jolie Holland was there in the beginning, but she left early on and started her solo career. And then Frazee Ford, Sam Parton, and Trish, you know, rose to uh, wide, wide acclaim um, with that group. And I, I loved them. I learned so much watching them. You know, they're all sort of like five to seven years older than I am. And I really admired them. Like when I moved to Vancouver, I was 17 and I was in the closet as a songwriter and in the closet as a musician still. 
and Trish and I met each other early on. I moved into this kind of crumbling, dilapidated house, 475 Aubrey Place. There were always, you know, eight to 10 of us living there at any given right. time. And she had just sort of moved out when I moved in. But we had these monthly potluck big jam sessions. Right. And I met her at one of those. And she was really encouraging of me as a, a you know, as a singer and a writer in my early days. So those, and then I went, I, I remember my first vocal lines where I met JT was in 2001. And I was basically roadieing for the Tanyas. You know, I was just like schlepping gear and checking out the scene. And I'll never forget the first time I heard JT, for those of you listening in radio, and JT Nero is the love of my life and my life partner. And we formed Birds of Chicago together. And he, we made a baby girl named Ida together who's now eight years old. And, you know, we've been together for 15 years and married for eight years. And he co-wrote uh, nine of the 11 songs on my debut solo record, Outside Child. But the first time I heard him was when I was roading for the Tanyas at uh, the 2001 Folk Alliance at the Hyatt Hotel in Vancouver. And I remember hearing JT and his singing partner at the time, Michelle McGrath, in, you know, doing a gorilla busking set in yeah. the lobby. And I was transfixed. And I thought, I want to make music with him one day. And here we are. I want to make music and or children with him. And or children with him. I did not think that yet at the time. I had a lovely girlfriend at that time. But, um, you know, I, yes, eventually it became clear that, that uh, if I was going to make a child, it would be with him. If you want to hear the story of JT and Allie falling in love, listen to Show on the Road episode with <laughs> Birds of Chicago. Oh. First season, I believe. That's right. We were your first season. I'm I'm I feel proud that we were part of your Basically first in my bedroom closet. Yeah, that was fun. It was fun because we yeah, that's right. We recorded at your place and you made us some sort of delicious something. What was it that you cooked some delicious thing? Do you remember that? It was like a I don't know, a vegetarian stew maybe. It was really good. I don't know if I've ever made a vegetarian stew, but I believe you. Someone made some delicious thing that we ate at your house. <laughs> I was jamming to the song Moving On from the from Pilgrim ah! on Vagabond Lullabies. I love that song. It's like you just do. a front porch jam. Oh, that makes me so happy. I can't going. believe you unearthed that. That makes me so, so happy. The wind blows now through the alley. There's the rain and chicken. like crickets going in the background maybe <laughs> there are yeah there are crickets and we and there are lines like <laughs> the smell of the chicken factory <laughs> because we lived we lived in um the downtown east side of vancouver basically um in a neighborhood just adjacent to it called strathcona and there was a chicken factory that when the wind went the wrong way it just was the most horrific smell oh, you can imagine and yeah the wind blows low through the alley, bears the reek of the chicken factory. That's, that's, that's one of those lines. Yeah. 
How many songs you think are in your brain right now? Like how many so songs many songs are, are weird. Like I didn't know that I even remembered that song, but as soon as you said it, like I can hear it. I can hear that recording that we made. You know, just can't seem to get along, and you know we've both been wrong. The time for sorrow is come and gone. I think we reached that on moving up. My friend Ray Spoon sang on that song with us, and oh yeah, that's just a whole era that. And Ray and I briefly had a band called The Dirties. Like, there were all these hysterical layers of just figuring out what, you know, what we were doing and finding your kindred, you know, your, your kind of philosophical and musical kindred. Well, I think uh, the Native Daughters Project is such a great way for people to learn about black music from a different angle, right? A lot of people assume that, you know, most black music is hip-hop or modern soul or funk, and the stuff that started way, way at the beginning with the fiddle, the banjo, and obviously Rihanna Giddens is at the forefront of saving that music. Not only Carolina saving Chocolate it, Drops she's, and beyond. Yeah, she's part of an unbroken lineage of it because she, yeah. you know, Rihanna and... and uh, Justin Robinson and Dom Flemons, who were the original lineup of the Carolina Chocolate Drops, yeah. they learned directly from Joe Thompson. And right. Joe Thompson was an unbroken lineage of the black string band tradition. When you take your banjo and you start playing a song like uh, Kashiba, right? Yeah. Which is telling the story of an enslaved foremother of yours, um, which you learned from your Grenadian aunt. And you're out on a stage like Carnegie Hall. Right, yeah. you're out on a stage like, you know, Red Rocks. You you have the chance to bring this lost history to a lot of people, right? Like this music that you're creating is American music in its bones, right? Yeah, absolutely. And when I talk about America, I, I have had an interesting thing to you of people going, "Well, you're Canadian. Why are you playing Americana?" And North I, American. I, exactly. Well, and more than that, it's not just North American. It's Caribbean. It's South right. American. It's Central American. By the way, Mexico's North American, too, you know, which people seem to forget. It's like, that's how I think of the evolution of American, quote unquote, music, right? And right. it's really fascinating. I just met this wonderful historian. Um, on Twitter, who um, is Sam Hasselby is his name, and he is a, a he studies early America, and he specifically is talking about the early Islamic in, uh, influence in America, which is a, again a huge erased history, because of course many of the enslaved people who were imported were Muslim, and mm. you know from North Africa, and right. um, just hugely influential to all kinds of parts of culture of America. And that has been erased and whitewashed. And he's fascinating. And he talks about that historians now, when they talk about America, early America, geographically, they do the same thing. They talk about from the Caribbean through South, Central, North America. Like that's mm -hmm. the Americas that we're talking about in terms of our history, how it unfolds, how everyone's influencing one another, colliding and crashing into one another. And I have always heard the music that way, too, you know, and have had wonderful discussions, um, you know, with Rhiannon and 
Layla and Amethyst about it, and that was so much of what was informing us as we were working on the Songs of Our Native Daughters record that we put out in 2019. Your children founded generations Your strength sustained them They won their freedom Trace their roots to find your way Kashima, Kashima You're free now, you're free now The joyful motherfuckers, the fearless lovers, the rainbow shooters, the wild. In the song uh, Joyful Motherfuckers, you talk about your grandmother saying, like, you know, love will conquer hate, but you don't know if it's too late already, right? Um, I don't think it is. Do you remember what your grandmother? Like, what was the most wise thing your grandmother ever told you? You know, my grandma, there was so, I don't know if I can pick just one. I mean, I am so indebted to her for, she was, you know, the light of my childhood. She's my Scottish-Canadian grandmother, my mom's mom, Dr. Isabel Roger Robertson. You know, she grew up on a farm with no shoes during the Depression and rode her horse star to school and... She was a brilliant scholar, and she put herself through her higher education all on scholarships and did put my grandfather through his higher education while she taught, and she taught and paid for him to go. Having five kids and somehow got her PhD and became a fellow at McGill University, and that's why I was born in Montreal. So that's the first gift she gave me. I don't think I would have survived my childhood anywhere else other than Montreal. Montreal is a city built on art and heart it is in a, you know we have the jazz fest every year we have caravana which is a celebration of all things mm. caribbean every year we there's music in the streets in the summertime entire streets get shut down and turned into pedestrian streets and it's just art and and people from everywhere and you know the mountain and the tam tam gems and i slept in the graveyard by the mountain i mean i literally was safe there and I would have maybe not been anywhere else, you know, when I was a runaway teen at 15. And it, it's, I can't emphasize enough how important that city was to my survival and my evolution as a human being and an artist. You got love in your heart, but it's way down in the dark. 
You better let it see the sun This world is almost done Grandma always told me Love will conquer hate I don't know if it's too late I don't know if it's too late Hey you Hey you Who you think I'm talking to Show them what you got in your heart If you could make a movie of your favorite book that transported you as a kid and write the soundtrack, which book would it be? The Bone People by Carrie Hume. And I Mm. want to just send out gratitude to Carrie Hume and her family. She just recently passed away. Um, She is a brilliant uh, Maori New Zealand author. Um, She won, I think was the first New Zealand author to win uh, the Booker Prize for the bone people and it's a book that my uncle david gave me in my childhood i think i was 11 when he gave me that book and i have reread it probably every year of my life and it's a story that helped me survive and that helped me feel seen and recognized and that there was a possibility of forgiveness and and healing and redemption it's a it's a beautiful book and if i could if someone made a movie of that book and i hope someone does i would love to be involved in writing the soundtrack. It couldn't just there it is. be, because there would definitely need to be Maori musicians involved. You know, it's such a deeply um, indigenous story uh, to, to New Zealand, to Aotearoa, the Shining Land, and I, but I would love to be involved. I would love to contribute. As your world has transformed a bit in the last year since Outside Child has taken off, uh, what has been the most surprising thing? What has been the most amazing Becoming, thing? Uh, getting a book deal, which just happened two days ago, that has been oh, wow. shocking and stunning. And you know, and of course, For the fiction? surreal. It, no, it's a nonfiction. It's a memoir that I'm writing. It's it's oh, definitely cool. going to grow out of the what I've already begun on the outside child record. I realized mm. that I had a lot more to say um, and share, and so I'm about. Oh, I don't know, a hundred pages in right now. And I have a wonder, I just am working with my dream editor, a woman named Bryn Clark, uh, who is a senior editor at Flatiron Books, which is um, one of the imprints of Macmillan Publishers. And I am so excited to be working with her and working cool. with them. And I, you know, she she just edited Tarana Burke's Unbound. She just edited Ashley C. Ford's Somebody's Daughter. Like she is brilliant, and the authors that she has um, championed and uplifted are are, I think, some of the most important thinkers and writers in the world right now. And I, and so I feel incredibly. I mean, it's 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 a shocking. I I can't even believe it, and I'm so excited, you know, to be starting this journey of authorship with them and so that's the kind of the wildest thing that's come out of outside child so far but the the song persephone again feels like almost a true crime novel happening blood on my shirt two ribbons might have killed me that time oh if i'd let him Slow and he lost his grip on me. 
again, you're dropping us into this very tense, dark situation, and it's not like, well, let's ease them into it, right? No. <laughs> blood on my shirt, two First line, blood on my shirt, two rip buttons. It sounds it like a detective writing down a crime and well, it, it unfolding. Was. It was a crime unfolding, and I was escaping from it, and she saved my life. You know, Persephone was my first love, my first girlfriend, and she saved my life, plain and simple. You Can know? you read that first verse and chorus like it's poetry? Blood on my shirt, two ripped buttons, might have killed me that time. Oh, if I'd let him. He's slow when he's drunk, and he lost his grip on me. Now I'm running down La Rue St. Paul, trying to get out from the weight of it all. Can't find a cop, because I know he won't stop. I go see Persephone. I mean, look, people often don't even listen or read lyrics, right? But there's no way to escape the edge of this knife, right? It's right there. I'm curious if you felt like you were being re-traumatized by having to sing these every night. Is it something that's painful to sing or is it something that's cathartic? It's cathartic and it's interesting. I wondered that myself, would it be painful? I, I think the recording of it was the hardest part because they were very raw new songs when we recorded yeah. them. You know, all of these songs were written between July 2019 and September 2019. And in fact, the last one we were finishing in October as we were recording them at the studio. Uh, Joyful Motherfuckers was the last song that we finished for the record. and. So they were really raw and new. I mean, there was a lot of crying going on in the studio. I would cry, and then the band would cry. We were just crying and laughing, and it was, and that was joyful and cathartic too in many ways. But it was definitely, that was the most harrowing in a way, just singing them for the first time and sharing them like that right. with everybody in the studio for the first time. And that was a new thing for me, because with Birds and with Poe Girl, the songs, the new songs would always grow up on the road. hard touring and it was it was working class small venues and um and i i wouldn't trade a minute of it i learned so much from all of that but the pandemic and the shutdown forced us to rethink everything and i realized yeah. how utterly vulnerable we were when our entire living was predicated upon subsistence touring yeah you know and that when the shows disappeared like what what how was I going to provide for our, how are we going to provide for our child? And both JT and I just dug in on writing that we needed to find more and diverse and uh, less um, sort of subject to cancellation ways yeah. to use our words. And that's, you know, what we both really dug in on throughout 2020 and now into 2021 when I've now just miraculously, you know, assigned author. And um, and we both got signed to Concord Music Publishing last year, toward the end of last year, and that was life-changing. Like, I was excited about 
that fantasy wanted to put out outside child but there's no we all know there's no guarantee with any record and the the, yeah. the the sort of vagaries of the pandemic like there was no way to know even if we'd be able to do any touring in 2021 right. you know everyone was sort of like buckle up we have no idea what's going to happen but i was incredibly lucky to have a label like fantasy who were like we've got you we're doing an 18 month campaign and we're gonna get creative with it because we all have to get creative with everything right now there's no yeah we're reinventing everything as we go you know this this virus is forcing us to evolve too you know and to change and to do things differently and to self-examine and you know we're in the midst of it i don't think we're going to even understand we're too close we're in it we can't see what yeah. how we're changing fully we are not going to know probably historians in 20 years will tell us what happened you know um, of all your years and you've played in different countries, you've played around the world. Is there one show that sticks out as the most bizarre, the most insane, like possibly dangerous show that you've ever played? The most dangerous <laughs> was actually, so there's two things. The, the most kind of wondrous and outside of anything I had experienced before um, was the Masao Women's Festival in Douala, Cameroon that mm. Poe Girl was so privileged to play. We were one of only two Amer North American bands that got wow. to play it. Um, we were, that that was in 2007, the summer of 2007. And we got to play in Paris and then we flew from Paris to Douala. And when we got there, the festival stages hadn't been built yet. And we <laughs> thought we were playing the next day and it was, you know, I, it was like everybody literally said to us, this is Africa, it'll happen, don't worry. They got us a driver who took us all over Cameroon to these beautiful beaches, wow. to Yaoundé, and to, we met these incredible women, like this Dovi Kendo, who is a, um, a Cameroonian superstar. She, she was on a very popular soap opera in the Cameroon, but she also started a theater company that she named MLK after Martin Luther King. She was at the forefront of, of AIDS activism, of HIV awareness, of uh, sex education for women. She's like a first wave feminist in Cameroon right. and her whole group of just absolute badass lady friends. And we hung with them and they took us everywhere and we, it was it was the most it was my first time not being a visible minority ever mm. in my life it was incredible although i was i was sort of a minority in that i'm pale for cameroon so right. they would call me la pit and i'm not pale for, for those of you listening in the audience nobody in north america would call me pale nobody in north america would ever think that i have a white mom i am you know i have dark brown skin and 4c very textured curly african diaspora hair and Nobody in North America, definitely not America, where most uh, black folks here that are descended of the enslaved diaspora are a lot of them are paler than me. Um, so, you know, nobody thinks that I'm anything other than fully black here. But in Cameroon, I was pale there. Right. And they called me la petite métisse, which means, you know, the little mixed girl. But yeah. it was said with affection. It wasn't said in a derogatory way. And they all also said, you look Cameroonian. And it, that, huh. was, I, that was in 2007 that we went there. It was magical. We played with this incredible uh, sort of uh, like 
almost mixing like high life with hip hop with this with poetry she was just brilliant this woman named Lady B and I would love I would love to get to work with her again um, I, I she was incredible and we jammed and we I mean, it was, it was, we met so many beautiful musicians. We met school children. We were adopted into this community of fierce first wave feminists in Cameroon. It was mm. incredible. It was a life changing experience. And we were there for a week before the festival happened. And then the festival happened and it was even more joyful. And I, I will never forget this one moment. We were going through a checkpoint um, on our way back into Douala, which is the capital city in Cameroon. And there was a guy with a gun and we were all like, oh, we were afraid this, you know, guy with a huge gun at the checkpoint. And what he and I, I thought about our bureaucracy in North America and how um, hidden the white crime of it is, you know, the white collar right. crime of it. It's so hidden, you know, redlining, preferential loaning so that people of color can't get a loan or. You know, right. you're trying to sell your house, and if you're a black family, your house is considered to be five hundred thousand dollars less than if it were yeah. a white family. You know, all these stories that are true that come out that we that we've had to live, you know, learn and face. Some of us are facing it. Some of us are still in denial. But you know, this crime that's gone on and gone on. You know, you want to talk about looting, like the 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 theft of an entire country from indigenous people, the theft of you know all yeah. of it. It goes on and on. And, it, and, and, and Africa, the continent, gets, you know, we have, we have our former president calling it a shithole and things like this, right? And it was paradise. It was paradise. Cameroon yeah. was, I was, I've never been anywhere where people were kinder, where people treated each other with loving respect. There were, I mean, Cameroon has everything. It has rainforest, it has, stunning pristine beaches it has beautiful clear fresh water they have absorbed mm. so many uh, folks fleeing uh, political conflict in Nigeria so many folks from Chad fleeing mm. the water crisis the climate crisis because Lake Chad which was the the water source for 20 million people in Africa right. is almost completely dried up so the you know the drought has forced mass migrations and Cameroon is this kind of like gold, it has this sort of incredible resources that keep it very stable. It's surrounded on three, on, on its inland sides by these rainforesty mountains. Mm. It's, you know, it's got a beautiful port. It's, it's a stunning place and it's absorbed. It has 124 distinct ethnic groups and languages and there's no war. Nobody's warring. They use humor to diffuse crisis situations amongst one another and they've absorbed and welcomed so many refugees from Nigeria and Chad and it was stunning to me I remember we were on some this little beach and there were kids like running into the water with these nets and coming out full of these silver fish and we our friend made us grilled us fish over a fire I mean it was the most euphoric idyllic paradise like experience I've ever had and I thought about what the images that we see mm -hmm. of, of Africa here, how skewed and biased it is. Because the fact is that all of Europe's wealth, all of the empires, the various colonial empires of Europe, so much of that wealth was extracted and stolen from Africa, including, of course, in America, extracting and stealing 
black people, my ancestors, yeah, and enrich our our unpaid labor and blood and children created the wealth of this country, you know, the, a vast amount of it. You know, we don't talk about, so I was just thinking about the kind of the depth of the theft that's happened here. Mm. And, and there I am at this checkpoint, there's a man with a gun, you know, a, 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 that, that, and, and we're taught that, you know, oh, a black man with a gun, nothing could be more fearsome in this country. You know, the, the bigotry of this country teaches mm. us that. And this guy just wanted to say, hey, he'd love the show. And it was a $2 fee to drive through the checkpoint. Yeah. Bucks. I was like, okay, this is bureaucracy I can get behind. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just, it just, it, it completely, and, and the things, people saying things to me like, we're so sorry, our village never sold slaves. I had never thought wow. about the African experience of the slave trade, you know? I had never yeah. thought about it because we don't talk about that or study that or learn about any of it. We don't learn about the fact that there were incredibly wealthy kingdoms, you know, and that there was, I mean, it's like we don't learn anything about African history, which is world history, which is what the wealth of the European colonial powers was based on, you know? It's just fascinating. And that is, and that is part of the erasure of black contributions and i think it's a very intentional thing because then the guilt sets in if you really face it right have you considered you working to... for the cameroonian tourism board <laughs> i should because it was a mirror it was the most that was the most miraculous experience that i got to have based on going to play a show yeah well that sh that song uh was it hi brazil yes um, where you talk about your great grandmother. Um, this album, Outside Child, is sort of like a a looking back through your family line. Obviously, um, some of it forced family, some of it adopted family, but it's all your family, right? It, again, it's like this cubist, yeah. multi-angle view and the and the great grandmother the scottish great grandmother is my biological my mom is a scottish canadian you know so that yeah. part is my lineage too you know and there are some really intense parallels between within the lineages you know it's really fascinating my great grandmother was a magic weaver came across the water and caught the fever Wondered if a mother could hear her when she sang the words she learned to say. In the blue commandant shot shimmering still, Dame Kaluna, low lady of the hills, cup of cold sun and a winter pill, send me back on my way. Seven black rabbits of high Brazil, 21 petals of daffodils. Thirteen of the black hair trip, I'll fly home today. If you could put together a festival where you booked five artists who are no longer on this living plane, who are back in history somewhere, you could have them come alive for one day only, who would those five artists be and where would it be set? Where would your fest be set? Oh, that is... Well, 
I think I was, that's a, this is a really hard question. The, I think the festival would be a free festival in the park in Montreal because okay. that was so important to me growing up to, to, that I got to experience public art, free music growing up, you know, that was accessible to me because my family, they, they, they were never going to take me to a show, you know, that was not yeah. something. So the fact that I got to experience that was because of free art. Okay. So it would be a free concert. It would be right. outdoors in a park in Montreal. And Miriam Makeba. Okay. I always wanted to see her. I would love so Mary McCaba. This is hard. Like any no artist, okay, but that that is passed on. Mary McCaba, Prince, Lassa, the sailor, Mahalia Jackson, mm. and this is so hard. Who would the Who would the fifth be? All right, Miriam McCaba, Prince, Lassa de Sela, Mahalia Jackson, and Odetta. Yeah, she's right behind you. She's right behind you. Yeah. So that's who it would be, and it would be a free concert in the park in Montreal, and it would that would be incredible. <laughs> All right, well, can you take us out with uh, one song that you'd like to present from the new record that we haven't talked about? Something that, a song oh, that means yes. a lot to you? Yes, Poison Arrow. It means a lot to me because I think, in a way, it's um, one of the most hopeful songs on the record. And it's really about reclaiming my city of Montreal. And it's about realizing, you know, after becoming Ida's mom and the kind of years of, of deprogramming uh, the, the self-hatred that had been instilled into me, going back to Montreal and being able to introduce the city to my daughter and realizing that I didn't feel fear anymore when I was there and that I could just love it again and that I could introduce it to her. And I, the French part, um, so it, the French part is... Uh, Je te souhaite la paix, je te souhaite l'acceptance. Je te souhaite une deuxième chance et le cœur d'un enfant. Routier, routier, chanter, chanter. L'heure des miracles est arrivée. Le poison peut être médecin si tu bois une goutte seulement. And it basically means, um, I wish for you peace. I wish for you acceptance. I wish for you to have the wonder of a child in your heart, to be like a child in your heart. Mm. Um, we're all travelers sing sing you know we we move through these troubles and the but the drops of poison a, a drop of poison can can also be medicine or poison can also be medicine if we only drink a drop and it kind of understanding that we are not defined by what we've lost and we're not defined by the scars we carry and we're not defined by what anyone did to us against our will you know we are defined by how we move past it, by the people we 
choose to be in our community by the ways that we open our hearts and and connect and you know we we are defined by our resilience in fact like that's our mm -hmm. human birthright it's our human birthright we are all it doesn't matter what your individual heritage is we're one human family and we are descended all of us from long lines of people who survived against all odds and who lived through times harder than these kind to me and I'll be kind to you it's not just your poison it's the bow the string shaft and feather too the rush of the wind the blue sky bird the rain that soaked the ground to give the Holy and the love Go in peace Without a friend For all of me Is in a mistake I'll use sad and broken Travelers Mom There you have it, Miss Allison Russell, everybody. You can go to AllisonRussellMusic.com for her newest record, Outside Child, it is nominated for three Grammy Awards. And as you may have heard earlier in the episode, you can go back to our first season and listen to the wonderful episode we taped with her and her husband JT, a.k.a. the Birds of Chicago, one of my favorite groups of all time. We recorded it right in my bedroom, and they play a really cool duet called Super Lover. Uh, you can check that video out on our Instagram, at Show on the Road Music. And uh, for many episodes, we actually upload the entire conversation of us talking over the airways. You can check that out, Show on the Road, on YouTube. I want to send a quick congratulations to Amy and the Bluegrass Situation team for their 10th anniversary, which they're celebrating this week. Uh, there's a really cool article about Allison Russell on the BGS website with her banjo and best friends, Allison Russell Delivers Outside Child in two parts. Really cool article, so please check that out. You may be thinking to yourself, wow, this podcast can be accessed for free anywhere I want at any time. How can I contribute to make this podcast more possible in the future? Well, if you look at the text of this podcast on Apple, you'll see that you can donate on Red Circle directly to this podcast, $4.99, or any bigger amount like $1 million that you're feeling at the moment. I indeed have a new baby on the way. Not me personally. My wife will be giving birth at any moment. Uh, I'm waiting for the word. So if you want to help me do this podcast through this crazy journey I'm on, please contribute and also buy merch for my group, Dust Bowl Revival. We'll be at the Wiltern, as I mentioned, March 31st in L.A. And which episodes are coming up, you ask? Well, we have my talk with Grammy winner Keb Moe, my talk with the crazy frontman of St. Paul and the Broken Bones, Paul Janeway from his house in Alabama, and a wonderful talk with the duo Penny and Sparrow. If you have a suggestion of who I should talk to this season, please send a note on Instagram at Podcast. And as always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are a part of the BGS Podcast Network. And now I give you my assistant editor, Sunny, as she snores into the mic next to me.
Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.